with my friends Tim and Al here from Chicago, I'm thinking of that's the community where I first got spoofed pretty regularly for the black binder and taking the phone up to record my sermons. So there was actually one Halloween where someone from the congregation came to a costume party dressed as me um, (laughs) with a black binder and the phone to record everything that she said. I'm feeling busted. (laughs) I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, Jesus said. I must bring them in also. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now this isn't news, I don't think, probably to any of you, but the Bible was not written in verse size chunks organized into chapters. Those divisions in our Bibles that we have in front of us are mostly arbitrary and added in much later, and it doesn't much matter that they're there, though it does make it easier to find something than to say, now turn in your Bibles to about seven-tenths of the way through Revelation. So it's handy to have chapters and verses. So it doesn't much matter that they're there, except for when we forget to cruise past those markers, to look before and after and see context of a story. You could read all of chapter 10 of John, which we heard an excerpt of this morning, for example, and still miss a key bit of context for understanding Jesus' long discourse on shepherding and sheep, flocks, and folds. And reading all of chapter 9 before it would help considerably with understanding some of that key context. And chapter 9 of John is that most fabulous of gospel stories. I really do love this one a lot about the man who's blind, born blind, uh, or he's blind from birth is what it says in the text, and he's healed by Jesus on the Sabbath, which leads to this inquisition of sorts on the part of the religious leaders. They're going to everybody to ask questions. What happened? An inquisition that is almost comical, and truly I can't read John chapter 9 without laughing. It just strikes me as funny. And ultimately, at the end of chapter 9, the religious leaders drive out the formerly blind man who was healed by Jesus. That is, for the record, not the funny part of the story. That's not the part that makes me laugh. But drive him out of the community. It's not the funny part of the story, neither is it the end of the story, because Jesus hears that they have driven him out. He goes to find him, and when he does, he engages him in conversation, asking questions of the man. Do you believe, for example, Jesus asks. And the man soon professes his faith. It leads to a really lovely and thoughtful profession of faith on the part of this man. And only then, after his profession of faith, only then do we learn that some Pharisees are nearby and have overheard Jesus' talk with this man. So then they question Jesus. Surely we, we are not blind, they wonder. And Jesus' long discourse, including the shepherding and sheep and flocks and fold bits that we heard this morning, follows their incredulity. Who, us? Blind? Is that what you're implying, Jesus, by having this conversation in our general proximity? Surely not us, 
right? So, those other sheep, those other sheep that Jesus claims to having, those other sheep, the ones that are not in the fold, those other sheep that Jesus must also bring in, this is not just a general and abstract teaching about generic inclusivity. This is not up here somewhere. No, it's particular. Jesus is quite particular here. It may be, and I think it is, the sort of particular that becomes something more like universal, or at least much more broadly applicable, but it starts particular, pointed even. It is grounded in the very specific. There is a very specific sheep, sheep, who's been driven out who's been cast out, driven out by the self-same religious leaders that Jesus is now addressing with his extended shepherd metaphor and his long discourse on shepherding sheep, flocks, and fold. There's a very particular human whom Jesus longs to bring in, whom Jesus promises to bring in, whom Jesus is trying to show these religious leaders is absent currently from their understanding of their community because the flock is incomplete until he's been brought in. Which begs the question of me when I encounter this text, when I engage it, when I sit with it, who are my particulars? Who am I perfectly fine casting out? Whose casting out am I willing to tolerate? And then who are our particulars as a congregation, as something that we might ponder together? Who are our particulars? Who have we cast out? Whose casting out have we tolerated? Despite our sincere commitment to radical hospitality, <laughs> hospitality, which is a sincere commitment, and it's something that we work on and that we seek to find and to embody and live among us, and still, who is outside. Now, of course, there's classes of people or types of people that we, it may be hard for many of us to love and to welcome fully into the fold, but we often do systemic thinking here. We think systemically. We think in terms of groups. And I'm drawn to the particular this week. I'm drawn to the personal. Sometimes in this congregation, one of you will notice when you haven't seen someone for a while. And sometimes you'll share that with me or with another pastor, and you'll wonder if we're doing anything. And I think the we is kind of the royal we sometimes. It's more like, <laughs> are you doing anything? <laughs> and often, though not always, the pastors or the congregational care team have noticed, not always, but some often, and sometimes, though not always, we are doing something, even if it's as simple as reaching out to say, I miss you. We miss you. Can we talk? So when someone wonders what we are doing, I often turn the question around to ask, what are we doing? Gently and lovingly. If you've noticed an absence, please reach out. I think it's part of how we care for one another. Because Jesus not only longs to bring each one in, he promises to. And I know that it can feel really challenging and vulnerable to
to do that kind of particular and personal work for any number of reasons. And I know that we can't all do all the things all the time. And sometimes that challenging, vulnerable work is, comes with an invitation. Sometimes in the discerning, I know where there's an invitation, even though it's challenging and vulnerable work to do. I've also heard some of you, and some of this is maybe connected with our season of Jubilee and leading up to our 50th anniversary and telling history and stories and reflecting on the long history of this congregation and God's faithfulness to us over those many decades. I've heard some of you share stories or experiences or memories of those who have left over the years, those who were part of the congregation at one time and are no longer here among us. And some of those stories that I've heard from some of you include unresolved stuff, hard and painful and broken stuff. And so then it makes me wonder, is there someone currently outside the flock that you feel a tug toward? Because Jesus not not only longs to bring them in, he promises to. And now it's really important for me to say that Seattle Mennonite Church is not Jesus' flock. Like, it's not whether or not you're here is whether or not you're in Jesus' fold, obviously. (laughs) And there are many places that folks can be in the fold. And in fact, today we're going to be sending... Hannah and Kevin and Pearlie and Moses, and they're going to share a little bit more about their family discernment process. We're going to be sending them with a blessing to another congregation that has come to be the new home for them. And that doesn't mean you're outside the flock. It means we're still part of the one flock in two different places. So that's not what I'm saying, that either you're at SMC or you're not part of Jesus' flock. But I do wonder... Are there those that are outside where you feel a tug and you wonder if there's some unresolved broken things to name and to address? This is where I come back to Jesus. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, Jesus said. I must bring them also, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, the incomplete flock stuff, the flock is incomplete so long as some are cast out, begs another question of me. And this is thanks to some really vulnerable sharing that happened in our Exploring Anabaptism class two weeks ago. So I'm meeting with a group of adults uh, for several weeks who are exploring baptism as a possibility within this congregation, which is really exciting. And I invite your continued or new, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, prayers for the discernment that those folks are doing. So some really vulnerable sharing in our gathering two weeks ago helped me to think about, um, I wonder where I have been cast out or where I've perhaps sort of chosen my own casting out, tolerated my own casting out, um, and how might I bring myself back into the flock? And here I'm going to go off script because this is delicate, stuff that I'm not sure I got written down very well. Um, And I'm going to start with sort of a playful uh, experience of this. So I got this honest from my mom, the ability to like pout really effectively. 
um, to, to be really pathetic and in sort of a self-aware way even like hmm you just don't want me to be there you know that sort of thing um, when I do it sort of playfully it becomes part of John's and my banter it's just one of the things we do sometimes and he says oh you're zer pathetic is what he says which is not a language there uh, <laughs> is very in German and pathetic is I don't know it's pathetic with a weird thing happening to it <laughs> Oh, Zerpathetish. But what it is, and it's, again, playful and kind of bantering, what it is is, like, I'm sort of baiting him to be the one to do the emotional work to bring me in, right? I'm, I'm making him uh, say, no, of course I want you to come along. Please, will you come along with me? Because I just want to hear it, right? I just want to hear that I'm wanted and needed and explicitly welcomed and invited, and because sometimes it's really hard and vulnerable. So I know this. I know this in a playful, bantering kind of way, but I also know it in more real ways. And that's what came out of our conversation a couple of weeks ago. The times that I cling to an identity of the one cast out or a narrative, and it's hard. It is hard and challenging and vulnerable work for me to think about where, where do I need to re-enter and re-engage um, so that's, that's a thing I think about. We know that the flock is incomplete until all have been brought in. And that includes ourselves. So it includes the ones who may be estranged from us. It includes us when we are estranging ourselves. And there's not, we're not usually one or the other. We're usually both, right? Most of us have experienced both of those things. So to be clear, and I do think this is obvious, but just to be sure, I'm not the good shepherd. <laughs> nor the pastors, nor any of us here. It's not us who is bringing everyone in. Jesus is the good shepherd. Here's the obvious answer that I think bears stating again. God is the shepherd. And though it is an outdated metaphor that probably none of us have experience with, I feel like we've gone too far to come out now. So here we go. We are all part of God's flock. We're all part of God's flock. We don't shepherd it. We just participate in it. We get to participate in it. And we're in. We're all in. Every last one of us is in, so long as we're cool with all those other sheep that Jesus needs to bring in as well. Because Jesus not only longs to bring those other sheep that he's got in, he promises to. And then I was going to read this really fun bit from Lily and Daniel. It's sort of snarky uh, about um, people who claim being spiritual, not religious, who see God in the sunset. It's like, duh. Don't we all see God in the sunset? It's not as though church people don't know that God is in the sunset. Oh, now I'm doing it. Okay, so I'm not going to read it. Someday I'll read her words, which are even snarkier and more fun, um, and, and revealing of a truth. But she says, human community. Now, if you can find God in human community, whoo, 
Now you're talking about a miracle, right? Now, now we're seeing something. So she's one who claims religious, right? That there's something in this human community and the messiness and the brokenness of it and the messing up and the trying again and the casting out and the allowing myself to be cast out and the coming back together. And there's something in all of that that is real gift. There is something that God is doing among us in the midst of all that messiness. Um, Welcome to the circle. It's a place we all belong. That's what I heard this morning and thought, oh, there's the sermon in a nutshell. And it takes us away from the shepherding metaphor, which none of us really get. Welcome to the circle. It's a place we all belong. Thanks be to God.